Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters. First, collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring them to my barn. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch on its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about six pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using parable. So was fulfilled what is spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out his kingdom, everything that causes sin, and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had, he had and bought it. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled up on the shore, and then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, then threw the bad away. This is how we will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? Jesus asked. Yes, they replied. He said to them, Therefore, every teacher of the law 
who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. When Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there. Coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue. And they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? They asked. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon and Judas? All of his sisters with us? When did this man get all of these things? And they took offence at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honour except in his hometown and in his home. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. Thanks, Gary. Uh, you want to uh, keep those uh, Bible passages handy uh, as we work along through them? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the treasures here in your word. We pray that uh, this morning, uh, however familiar we may be with them, uh, we pray that you would enable us to hear, to understand, uh, to see the incredible treasure of your kingdom uh, and to praise you and to cling to your promises. Amen. Well, familiarity breeds contempt. We've all heard that before, but I'm sure we've all seen it in action, haven't we? Uh, there's, uh, this was clearly the case for Jesus in his hometown of Nazareth, as we just saw. See, at the end of that passage there, we see that the people of Nazareth thought they knew Jesus. They hadn't forgotten the gossip about his you know, mother's suspicious pregnancy and her rushed marriage to Joseph. They'd seen Jesus running around in nappy pants with all the other neighbourhood kids. Jesus had probably passed nails to his father while he was building the extension on their deck or their pergola at their homes. And Jesus had probably always been a little bit odd, a bit different to all the other kids. He's certainly nothing special, at least with the appraisal of Jesus' neighbours in Nazareth. He wasn't the smartest or the strongest or the most popular or the most liked. And yet here he was, he'd come back claiming to be God's promised king. Claiming that he was the one that for thousands of years God had promised would come, would fix this world and would bring God's people into an eternal kingdom that could never be shaken And the Nazarenes didn't believe a word of it. See, their familiarity with Jesus bred contempt, that they thought they knew who this man was. And how true is this, I think, of our nation here in Australia? We've got this sort of supposed familiarity with Christianity, this supposed familiarity where we think we know all about Jesus, don't we? And yet... How many Aussies couldn't tell the difference between something Jesus said and something Buddha said? And there's a familiarity, not just with Jesus, but with the way Jesus came about. See, there's a humility about the beginnings 
of the kingdom of heaven. There's sort of this smallness this, that looks weak and small and insignificant, unimportant. This chippy's son in this nowhere town who claims to be the king of heaven. And I think for Australians too, we think we've tried that. We tried Christianity. He didn't work. He didn't fix things. He hasn't stopped the wars. I think there's a contempt in our culture towards Jesus. And part of that contempt is because of the small and humble beginnings of this kingdom. But I think for us as believers, sometimes the familiarity and, the, and these small and humble beginnings can actually cause concern for us. I don't know if you've ever looked around and, and thought, actually, the kingdom of heaven doesn't seem all that impressive, does it? I mean, look at us. We're not an incredibly impressive group. We look around at this world and we see war and evil continuing. We think, well, is the kingdom really all it's cracked up to be? And so Jesus told these six parables. Six illustrations to help us realise just how wonderful God's kingdom is, even though it seems humble and insignificant now. See, because even though now it looks small and weak, it won't stay that way. And because Jesus knows that we need to hear something more than once, uh, he doesn't just tell us once, he actually puts these parables in pairs. Uh, so six parables in three pairs of two. And so we're going to look at each of the pairs. So the first two parables, uh, the first and actually the last parable, parable one and six, they explain that even though the kingdom of heaven coexists alongside evil now, in the end, it will be purged of evil and only the kingdom of heaven will remain. And then the second and third parable explain that the kingdom of heaven is a hidden treasure worth more than anything this world can offer. And there are two parables which explain that even though the kingdom of heaven starts small, it will overtake and swallow up everything until it's the only thing left. Well, as Matthew points out there in verse 35, uh, in these parables, Jesus is teaching us secrets that have been hidden from the beginning of time. Uh, let's not let our familiarity with these mean that we miss these treasures. So parables 1 and 6, the cohabiting kingdom, uh, the parable of the weeds and the net. Have a look at verse 24. Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat. Then jump down to uh, the last parable, verse 47. Once again, says Jesus, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. See, Jesus is letting us in here on a secret. And that secret is there's going to be a gap between the coming of God's promised king and the end of everything that is wrong with this world. There's a gap. And I remember once when our kids were a bit smaller, uh, we had some seeds and we were going to go start a, you know, like a veggie garden. A, I don't know what we're planting, tomatoes or strawberries or who knows. 
And uh, the kids got all excited and we went out and we prepared the bed and, we, you know, and we put the seeds in and, and then the kids sort of sat and waited and, you know, we watered it. We went inside. They came inside and said, can we go and eat the strawberries now? And, uh, you know, we, we said, no, actually, you know, th there aren't any strawberries. You've got to give it time. And they thought there was something wrong with our seeds. There's something, there's something wrong here because they've planted the seeds and there aren't any strawberries. See, they're expecting the fruit straight away. They thought if, you know, I put the seed in the ground and, you know, put the seed in and then you get a feed out. All in one go. But we had to explain, well, actually, no, there's a gap. You've got to give time for the seed to grow before it'll be ready for a harvest. And the people of Israel, they had been waiting for millennia for God's king to come. The king who would save them from their enemies, who would bring them into eternal blessing, who would get rid of evil and death and put an end to this whole part of history where mankind rebels against God and faces the consequences. And they're expecting that when this king comes, bang, straight away, then there would be an end to all that is evil. But Jesus says, no, actually, there's going to be a gap. The king won't bring an end to evil straight away. And if we look at verse 29 and th verse 39, we see actually even the angels didn't know this secret. Even the angels were expecting that when the king comes, then bang, straight away, no gap, evil would be done away with. Jesus says, no, the king will bring the end, but first, there needs to be time for the kingdom to grow. The angel asked there in verse 29 if Jesus wanted them to pull the weeds up now, straight away. But Jesus says, no, we need to give time for my kingdom to grow without pulling up too early. Verse 30, look what he says. Let both the wheat and the weeds grow together cohabiting, coexisting in this world until the harvest. And so here we live, don't we? In this gap in between the coming of the king and the harvest. A gap where we, as God's people, live side by side with the people who follow Satan, the devil, the evil one. Wickedness continues and we know that within our own bodies, we still fight against our flesh, our sinful nature. And I wonder if you've ever thought to yourself, or maybe you've heard someone say to you, well, hang on, if Jesus was really God's promised king, and he's really the one who deals with sin and everything broken about this world, why is there still evil? Why hasn't he fixed it all? If he was really king, why are there still wars? Why is there still death? Why do people still suddenly end up in hospital for no reason? But in, as this parable tells us, actually the parable of the net goes even further. It's not just in the world that we see evil, but within the church, even within the net of the church, we have the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of the evil one side by side. 
This seems like a problem, doesn't it? It seems like a problem for Christianity. It seems like a problem for Jesus being the king. But the problem isn't the gap. The problem is when we have that childlike assumption that we can put in the seed and take out the feed straight away. Now, as Jesus explains, the kingdom needs the gap. It needs the time. It needs to temporarily coexist side by side with evil in this world because it needs time to grow and mature and become fully ripe and ready for harvest. As I want to say to you this morning, if if you're someone whose confidence in Jesus has been shaken by the reality of the evil we see in the world, I know I I have. If you, like me, at times have looked out and gone, well, how can Jesus be true if this world is still in such a mess? Let's take comfort in this secret that Jesus reveals. The presence and the continuation of evil in this world isn't a problem for Christianity. It's not proof that Jesus is not king. It's actually God's kindness and patience in letting and enabling his kingdom to grow, to include people like you and me. And Jesus reminds us that just because he didn't deal with evil straight away, doesn't mean that he isn't going to. Have a look at verse 40. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. If you look down in verse 49, that the parable of the net, they're described as the wicked will be separated from the righteous. Those who reject Jesus and reject God's kingdom will be separated from those who accept him. Verse 42, they will be thrown into the burning fire where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then, only then, will the righteous shine like sun in the kingdom of their father. See, for those who reject Jesus, the time will come it will come and there might be someone here today who maybe you've been put off of Jesus because of this problem because of the evil you see in the world maybe you've been holding Jesus back going actually no I I don't think Jesus you really are who you claim you are because look I can see all of this wickedness Maybe you've seen this as a problem for Christianity, you know, proof that he's not the king. If that's you, I want to say to you the same thing I said to my kids when they planted those seeds all those years ago. There has to be a gap. Don't give up on the seed because the fruit doesn't come straight away. The time will come. God's being patient with you. God's being patient. Then in parables 2 and 3, we come to the overtaking kingdom. We've had the coexisting kingdom. Now we have the overtaking kingdom. This is the parable of the mustard seed and the yeast. Have a look at verse 31. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it's the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it's the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, 
so that the birds come and perch in its branches. Verse 33, the kingdom of heaven is like a tiny little pinch of yeast that a woman took and mixed into a massive, that's 27 kilo batch of flour. That's a lot of work, by the way. Until it worked through the whole dough. See, what secret is this about? Well, this is the secret of a tiny beginning. Uh, I don't know if we've got any Star Wars fans in the house. I'm sure we do. Uh, I'm a bit, of a bit of a Star Wars fan. And I've been watching the new Andor series. And uh, if you're into Star Wars, uh, it's set in the time frame uh, when the evil Emperor Palpatine has just formed the Empire and taken over the entire galaxy. And there's just this tiny little band of a dozen or so uh, people who have gotten together to form the Resistance. This tiny little ragtag bunch who have decided they're going to go up against this incredible juggernaut that is the Empire. And uh, as I've been watching this series, uh, you just kind of follow along, you know, the good guys, the bad guys, both sides. One by one, they all seem to be asking the question, you like Andor? Well, not quite. Uh, we'll chat afterwards. I'll have to introduce you to Andor. It's good value. But one by one throughout this series, almost every character seems to be have some form of this question on their lips. What hope does this tiny little group have against this vast empire? You know, the bad guys are saying, oh, what hope have they got? We'll crush them. Even the good guys are saying, well, is this really worth it? What hope have we got? And yet, for those who know Star Wars, the resistance grows and grows and eventually takes out the empire and outlasts it. Well, the kingdom of heaven started with a ragtag bunch of people, with a little carpenter's son from Nowhereville, a few widows, a retired prostitute, not exactly an imposing bunch, pretty small beginnings. And what could ever come of this pathetic attempt to build a kingdom? Surely if God's king really showed up from heaven, he'd come with a bit more power and pomp and magnificent and might than this? I mean, really, it's pitiful. Israel was expecting God's king to come with legions and legions of angels and heavenly beings and, and shining like the sun. And maybe you've felt that too. Maybe you've struggled with the, the humble beginnings of the kingdom. Maybe in this nation that at this moment is, seems to be trying to stamp out Christian belief. Maybe you feel like even now the kingdom of God is this weak, insignificant minority. Maybe sometimes, like I have wished, maybe you've wished, well, Jesus, why didn't you just come a little bit more powerfully? Why didn't you come with the angels? Why didn't you come and, you know, do a bit more head bashing? You know, why, why didn't you come and destroy the Roman army and, and all of those Pharisees just, you know force lightning them or, you know, burn them to death or something, you know, whatever. 
I don't know if you've ever wished that Jesus came a bit more spectacularly. Maybe you've wished and longed for the church to kind of grow in power and influence and importance in this world. Kind of conquering nations with the good news of the gospel until the whole world is just like a big church. But Jesus tells us a secret here. The small beginnings doesn't mean small forever. Like this tiny pinch of yeast that works through a batch of dough, the kingdom of heaven may seem invisible now. You can't see the yeast in the dough, can you? It might seem undetectable, but by the time Jesus is finished, the kingdom of heaven will have worked its way and infiltrated into every corner of this world, into every place, every people group, every part of every society. The kingdom of heaven, though it starts small, is working its way through the entire world. And like that tiny mustard seed, it started small, but it will outgrow and overtake every other tree. The kingdom of heaven will overtake every other kingdom until in the end it's the only thing left. And we need to hear this secret. I think sometimes as Christians we can become a little bit like Elijah. I don't know if you remember the story of Elijah, the Old Testament prophet who, uh, when Ahab, the evil king Ahab, had basically wiped out all public worship of God. Uh, Elijah ran off and hid in a cave. And do you remember... uh, he complained to God, come on God, just kill me now, I'm the only one left. I'm the only person that follows you in this evil world. And yet God said, hey, there are more. Like the yeast that you can't see, there are many more who are part of my kingdom. And this tiny little kingdom will grow. See, if we're followers of God... Uh, sorry, followers of Jesus, only when it looks like God's kingdom is in the majority. If we're followers of Jesus only when it looks like following Jesus is on the right side of society, in public favour and power and influence, then we won't be followers of Jesus for very long. Because the kingdom of heaven is small in its beginnings. It's invisible in how far it reaches. And it will be hated and opposed and attacked. But it will continue growing. It will overtake and be the only thing left standing. And look what this kingdom brings. Have a look at verse 32. Though it is the smallest of seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches kingdom of heaven when fully grown brings shelter security safety rest comfort a home for those who are looking for one even though the kingdom of heaven looks small and pitiful and invisible now it will overtake everything to be a glorious and magnificent home for god's people And the third secret that Jesus reveals in parables 4 and 5, the the parables of the treasure and the pearl, 
is that the, tr- the kingdom of heaven is the greatest treasure we could ever find. Have a look at verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. I don't know if you're like me, but uh, when I'm driving through the country, uh, my favourite farms are the ones that are covered in junk. You know the ones that look like a junkyard? There's old you know, implements and machinery and, and vehicles lying around. And uh, all Keely, my wife, all she sees is mess. But what I see is rusty gold. I see tractors and cars and trucks and, and I see, you know, steel and plough discs and, you know, I could make a, a fire pit out of that or a sculpture or, you know, could get, I could probably get a tractor running again. It would be great, you know. Like any petrol head, I've got this kind of dream that one day I'll come across the barn find. You ever heard of the barn find? It's that original unmolested classic that got forgotten about somewhere in a shed covered in dust and old tires and you'll come along and it's undervalued unappreciated forgotten about just this treasure sitting in a barn that no one knew it's just an old car no one knew how much it was really worth and I wonder what what earthly treasure what barn find would you like to come across what what would be something if you discovered it you would happily sell all your possessions to get it well here jesus lets us in on the secret of the unrecognized and unappreciated undervalued worth of the kingdom of heaven that the kingdom of heaven is something of unsurpassing value unsurpassing rarity and it's there waiting to be discovered but even though it is the greatest treasure ever most take it for granted most treat it like it's worth nothing most never stumble upon it and never discover its worth bit like on an antiques roadshow when someone brings something in and they've been using it as a doorstop and it turns out it's a priceless antique. Most people are completely unaware of just how precious and valuable and unreplaceable God's kingdom is. Like the family that sells grandma's old painting for $20 at a garage sale and, and discovers later that it's an original Van Gogh worth $20 million. Most people pass off the kingdom of heaven like it's a $20 painting. Most people hear Jesus' invitation. He invites us to come, to be part of his kingdom, to come for free at no cost. And most people think that's not something worth taking hold of. Now, whether you're someone who was searching for God, maybe, maybe your story is that you were actively looking for God, like the pearl hunter 
you found Jesus and realize, no, this is the one. He is the one. This is what I've been looking for. He really is the King of Heaven. Or maybe your story is you were just wandering along the field, thinking about something else, and then just accidentally stumbled into Jesus. Jesus caught you from left field and you realise, whoa, I didn't even know you were who I needed. And yet here you are, the King of Heaven. See, Jesus is the greatest treasure and his kingdom is the greatest treasure. But we still, once we've found him, I think we struggle to believe that. I think we don't always believe that. So often, like the soil we looked at last week, the soil with the weeds, we do get distracted and disillusioned, don't we, by the pleasures and the treasures of this world. And so often we can wonder whether the kingdom of heaven really is that special. Maybe you've sold everything to be part of God's kingdom and then you've looked back and you've got buyer's regret and you're wondering whether you'd made a poor investment. Sometimes we can be tempted to cash in the kingdom of heaven that we're waiting for, for things that we can have right away. We can be tempted to believe our friends and our family and our society when they tell us that we're wasting our lives and throwing throwing it all away for nothing. When they tell us that we're making a foolish investment, we can worry that they're right. Listen to what Paul said in Philippians 3. Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider all of that garbage that I might know Christ and be found in Him, having a true righteousness, knowing Him and knowing that I will be raised from death to eternal life. I wonder if there's something that you might be struggling to let go of. Uh, Something you're finding hard to believe uh, is not better than God's kingdom. Maybe a pleasure or a treasure. Maybe, Maybe there's constant grinding pressure from family or friends who keep telling you you're making a foolish investment. Maybe you've got friends telling you that it would be foolish to give up your career to train for gospel ministry or mission. Maybe you've got people telling you it would be foolish to turn down a promotion just so that you could have more time to disciple your kids and and be involved in serving at church. Maybe people are telling you that it would be foolish to give money to church when you could pay down your mortgage quicker, retire better, go on better holidays. Maybe you've got people telling you it's foolish to waste the best sleep-in morning of the whole week to come to church and invest in this small ragtag bunch of believers. Brothers and sisters, hear this secret. The kingdom of heaven is the greatest treasure. 
It's worth giving up everything to have it. I don't know how you feel about these three secrets this morning. They may be really familiar to you, but these secrets should be of incredible comfort. Though the kingdom of heaven coexists alongside evil today, it will be purged. Evil will be dealt with. Though the kingdom of heaven started small, it will grow and overtake everything. And though the kingdom of heaven is undervalued, unrecognised in our world, it is the greatest treasure of all.